0: It's called the good news, and the fact that God has even made good news available, that in and of itself is great news. But even what's contained within this good news sends it right over the top. We'll talk about that here today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor Steve Converse as we return to the Book of Romans, chapter three. It's there that we catch up with our pastor. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. And again, greetings in Christ and welcome. This is Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse, takes us back to the book of Romans, the provision of the good news, grace from the King by whom we have received grace, unmerited favor, and what a glorious truth this is. Find hope and encouragement in today's broadcast. Here now is our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, with today's program.
1: We'll turn our hearts over to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and uh, we're going to continue in our study of the the book of Romans. There's a... uh, uh, I'm going to read the, the text for us, Romans 1 to 7, and we've already covered verses 1 to 4, but I just want you to understand this is one long sentence that Paul opens up this letter with, and it just it's just kind of continuous. <laughs> And so he writes there in Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom is kind of interesting when you stop and you think of the 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 book of Romans that this was a letter just like you would write a letter that's what Paul wrote to these believers in Rome and so it's kind of an interesting thing we look at it as a book and we study it as a book but it's also Important to remember that it is a letter; it's some, uh, a personal letter that he wrote uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so he really has in mind here today. I think in our our text verses specifically five through seven, um, it's God's great gospel basically demonstrated. How does it play out? Last week we defined the gospel in different ways, and, and today we want to look at uh, how it is demonstrated. Um, I'm reminded of a a story, illustration, it talks about three men, and these three men were working on a uh, stone pile at this big construction site, and uh, somebody who was walking by the stone pile saw the three guys working there, and he was kind of curious what they were doing, and he asked the first guy, you know, what are you doing? And he kind of just smartly replied, I'm chiseling stone, and hoping for a better answer, he made his way to the next guy, and he asked him, the second worker, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just feeding my family. I'm bringing home a paycheck. Kind of irritated, the guy would even ask. And still wondering what, actually, they were building, what they were doing. He asked the sir, third man, sir, what are you doing? And the illustration, says the man dropped his sledgehammer, dropped his chisel. He stu- stood up, and his face kind of brightened. And he waved toward, over the whole construction site. And he exclaimed, I'm building a great cathedral. See, all three of these guys were doing the exact same job. But only the third really had the the proper, you might say, vision to make his job worth doing, to make his job meaningful, to really cause him to put his heart into it. He understood what it was all about. And I think sometimes when it comes to the church, when it comes to ministry, um, we forget what it's all about. We have a tendency, you know, well, what are you doing for the Lord? How are you serving the Lord? We bring that down to the kind of small little things that we do. Not that they're not important. They are. Maybe it's, hey, I clean the fellowship hall. I am a greeter on Sunday mornings. I teach Sunday school. I lead a small group Bible study. I help out in women's ministry. I help out in the sound booth. I, I help out in nursery or finance or whatever it might be. And we forget so many times that there's a bigger perspective at large. And I think the bigger perspective would be you know what? God has saved me and He's using me to help build His church and to be a channel, His channel, for taking the gospel to the nations. That's really what ministry is about. It's not just about, you know, teaching a Sunday school class or cleaning up the fellowship hall or helping in finance or helping in the nursery. I mean, all those are wonderful things, and we appreciate you serving. But let's look at it as a bigger picture. I mean, this is just one little small church on a corner here in Redwood City. What's the bigger picture? See, that's what the Apostle Paul's perspective was. He truly saw the bigger picture, and we can see that here in verses 1 to 7. He understood that God saved him from being a persecutor of the church. And he knows that God graciously called him to be an apostle, to extraordinarily help lay the foundation of a much bigger project, of a worldwide church, which Christ himself promises to build. See, God was using Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles or to the nations. And he was using him for his namesake. He wasn't using Paul just to get Paul a big name. And go on the circuit and tell his wonderful testimony. No. I mean, that's what we do so many times. You know, some movie star or some actor comes to Christ. And pretty soon they're making the rounds in the churches. telling their And, uh, you know, not that their testimony is not legit or whatever. I mean, they may have been gloriously saved. But so many times it's about them. And while none of us today here are called as apostles in the same sense that Paul was. And we're going to be looking at that. The principle still applies. The simple principle is that God saves us and gives us spiritual gifts, beloved, so that we will be used by him, his channels for the gospel to go out, not just here, but to all the nations. And that's what Paul is describing here. And the interesting thing is God calls us to that, but he also gives us everything we need to accomplish the task. We had, some, we had some work going on. at jittered. We we're trying to get this rear porch done. It was kind of caving in, and it was wood, and there was uneven cement. So we had some guys come by, and they dug it up the other day. And getting it ready, they're going to pour some concrete. But it was interesting because <clears throat> the guy who was the contractor guy, he came by and dropped off his crew. And I guess one of the workers forgot half his tools, because he kept on knocking on my door. Hey, do you have this? Do you have, that? Do you have a drill? Do you have...? I'm like, man, he kept on apologizing. He's a nice guy. He's a Christian man, actually. And, and I thought, oh, yeah, I can help you out. So I gave him some tools, and he didn't need them anyway. His boss came back and dropped off the, the box that he needed. But it was, I could see the frustration on his face when he was given a job to do, and he didn't even have a shovel. You know, I mean, he, he was really frustrated that he had to come and ask me to, to get the tools to accomplish his, his job. And you know what? God doesn't do that to us. He calls us, and he calls us to be his children. He calls us to be servants and calls us to be used for the glory of the gospel. But he also says, hey, you know what? Here's everything you need to be equipped to do that. I don't know about you, but that's a blessing. There's nothing more frustrating than starting a project and not having the right tools to complete the project or not having the proper instructions or not having the proper understanding of where, where it's going. Well, God has given us far beyond what we would even need or comprehend to need. The treasures that God has given us is described throughout the Word of God. In First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul said this I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. I mean, God doesn't just save us and then step back and say, okay, you're on your own now, pal. Hope you make it to heaven. No. He's right there beside us. He's equipping us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. And so many times we take these things for granted. The psalm speaks of a faithfulness that will never be removed. John 3.16 tells us that we have a life that will never end. A spring that will never cease to bubble up. John 4. A gift that will never be lost. Romans 8, a chain that will never be broken. Romans 8, a love that we can never be separated from. See, all these things are blessings that God has given us. A calling that can never be revoked. A foundation that will never be, re- de- be destroyed at all. And an inheritance that will never fade away, First Peter tells us. All those things, Paul understood that God has equipped him and blessed him with that kind of inheritance in Christ. Well, just real quick, where have we been? We've, we, we looked at verse 1 and we talked about the preacher of the good news, Paul. He was a servant, he was an apostle, and he was set apart for Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the promise of the good news. And we looked at how verse 2 tells us that, hey, this was not something new. This is something that was promised beforehand. And we understood that it talked about his name, his sonship, the mere fact that, that Jesus Christ has always been God. But when he came and he became incarnate, he took on the role of being God's son. Now, I just want to take a few moments to clarify some statements I made last week concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Uh, Here in the context, Paul is referring to, basically, he wants us to understand that we need to believe and accept the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, that he came from God, that he lived here among us, that he took on a body, that he was the God-man for 30-some years. And it was at that time that he became a human being that Paul says that he was declared the son of God. And even though this plan was birthed in all eternity past, the title of son is really an incarnational term. It applies to Jesus in its fullness after he puts on a human body. Uh, he has always been the son of God. And in the sense of oneness with the Father in the second person of the Trinity, that is very true. Uh, no question that he is eternally God, that he is eternally the second person of the Trinity. We're not disputing that. But Paul says here that he was declared God's son when he was supernaturally conceived in Mary and then he was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So just to clarify, we, we want to say that Christ was the son of God and is the son of God from all eternity past in expectation and that he now is declared God's son in fulfillment of the incarnation and that's through all eternity future and we looked at his birth and we looked at his resurrection and we got through basically the end of verse four there last week we talked about the resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord and see so it's it's important for us to understand here today that as we get into verse five and we begin to understand who Christ was. Um, see, Christ, when he was, when he was baptized, that's when his, basically his public confirmation of his ministry by God, by the Father, by the Holy Spirit. From that time on, from his baptism on, Christ's ministry was controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was subjected to the will of God, his Father. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven men. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it's going to be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. See, we we can never forget, beloved, that Jesus Christ was both a man and God. Both. And that's, that verse there points that out. It says, hey, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, the divine nature of Christ, the power that's working in Christ to do these miracles, that's not going to be forgiven. But you can say whatever you want against the Son of Man. That's going to be forgiven you. Against the human man, Jesus Christ. Some people have a lot of questions about the We look at that verse in Matthew 12 and we say, well, that's the unpardonable sin. You know, if you do that, you can never be forgiven. And what does that mean? I take it rather literally. There's some people that don't, but I take it rather literally. I think, I would would be honest and say, out of Matthew 12, the text that it speaks of as far as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that can't be duplicated today. And you say, well, why not? Because Jesus isn't here physically. See, when you put yourself in the context of Matthew in the Gospels, when it talks about this, what happens is Jesus was going around doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they couldn't deny the miracles. The miracles were happening, and Christ was the one who was doing them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he did those miracles, the religious leaders were so blind and so hard-hearted that they pointed to Jesus Christ and said, well, we're not going to deny that you're doing the miracles. Yeah, you're raising people from the dead, and you're healing people, and and you're doing all these feeding people without food. All this stuff is, is truly miraculous. But we don't believe you're doing it by the power of God. We believe you're doing it by the power of Satan. They literally attributed the works of Christ, the literal works of Christ while he was here on earth, to Satan himself, the power of Satan. And what Jesus is saying is, you know what? If you're seeing all the miracles I'm doing, and you're not denying that, but you're still so hard-hearted that you cannot admit that this is a divine miracle, that it's something that is from God, there's no more hope for you. There's no more hope. You're not going to find forgiveness anywhere else. If you're coming to Christ and you're saying, well, I believe you're doing the miracles, but you're them by the power of Satan, you're not going to look to that person for salvation. You're not going to definitely not believe that he's the Messiah. And so today, can that be duplicated? Well, Jesus isn't here. You know, it's not like we can go down to the park and see Jesus walking around performing miracles and point to Jesus and go, wow, you do that by the power of Satan. That would be the context in which this is taken out of. They had a full physical revelation about Jesus Christ, and yet they still attributed his work to Satan. And some people say, well, the unpardonable sin, that's unbelief. Well, I I guess it is. But even unbelief can be forgiven. We were all at a point of unbelief, right? And we came to Christ, He forgave us. So, but I think if you die in your sins, obviously, you will be met out the judgment of hell in the judgment of God, the wrath of God, due to the sins that, that you're that are attributed to you on your account. The only way they can be forgiven is through Christ. And so we see this dynamic throughout Scripture that points to Jesus as man, but also as God. And you can see different times where that actually plays itself out. But I think it's important for us to remember that God, in his kind of divine revelation to us, In verse 5, we see, you know what? Yeah, this was through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was filled with the Spirit, and he was doing my will. But I want you to understand that there's a a provision through this good news. In verse 5, he says, through whom we receive grace and apostleship. What does the gospel provide? What does the good news provide? It provides grace, and it provides apostleship. Well, let's look at that first point, grace from Christ Every believer receives grace from God as a result of responding to the gospel, to the good news. If you don't respond to the gospel, if you don't embrace Christ, then you're not going to receive the grace of God. He's saying here that, you know what? The good news is that salvation is by what? Grace. It's by grace. I mean, the gospel would not be good news if somehow... It wasn't through grace. If the gospel message was, hey, you can be saved, but you know what? In order to be saved, here's what you have to do. And they start ticking off the to-do list. All these religious things you have to do. That wouldn't be good news to me. It's like, you know, you get those phone calls once in a while, or you get an email saying, hey, you've won. (laughs) Free trip to the Bahamas, and all expenses paid. You're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you call those things, and you, you reply to those things one time, usually. And you, you learn. There's no free lunch. Well, yeah, it is free, but, you know, it's, you know, and then they start unraveling the thing, and, you know, pretty soon the, the, the dollars are in the hundreds, and you're going, well, wait a minute, what, what happened here? That's not how God works. Grace is unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know these verses so well, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the grace of God that brings salvation, Scripture tells us in Titus, has appeared to all men. It's totally apart from anything man could ever do to receive God's favor. It's unmerited favor. And that includes his mercy, his loving kindness, it grants us that salvation, and it grants us salvation as a gift, not something we earn. All we do is simply respond by believing in his son, believing in Christ, putting our faith and trust in him. John 3.24 says, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then down in verse 27 he says, where then is boasting? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No. But by the law of what? Faith. The only way we're going to get into the kingdom of God is by the grace of God. There's no place for human achievement. There's no, there's no place for pats on the backs when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're not going to be up there, high five, man. How did you make it? Oh, I helped. I did this. I, I gave to the church. No. Matter of fact, we're probably going to get to heaven and look around and go, whoa, how did you get here? You're the last person I'm thinking would be here. It's unmerited favor. But it's also important that we understand it's undeserved favor. There's none of us that deserves heaven. Salvation doesn't come by confirmation or communion or baptism or church membership or church attendance. Or even trying to keep the Ten Commandments or or trying to live out uh, Jesus' words on on the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't come by how much you give to charity It doesn't come by believing that there's a God. It doesn't come by being moral or respectable or having character. None of those things will bring you salvation. Those things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're not going to bring you salvation. You know what? I'd even say salvation doesn't even come by claiming to be a Christian. That doesn't bring you salvation. There's a lot of people in the world and even in the church today, beloved, that claim Christ. They say they're a Christian. The minute they walk out these doors, wow, they become a chameleon. There's something else. Salvation comes only when we receive by faith the gift of God's grace. Hell will be full of people who tried to get to heaven any other way. And the good thing is, in Romans, we're going to look at this little... Later, coming coming months, Romans five verses twenty and twenty one, he says, Paul says, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, what grace did abound much more. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the first provision of the gospel is grace, and it's not earned, and it's not deserved. I would say you couldn't even earn it if you wanted to. You couldn't do enough good works to add up to be in the positive. God has swooped down and he he came down through the, the Lord Jesus Christ to give us the grace of God even though we don't deserve it. One dying saint said this, grace is the only thing that can make us like God. I might be dragged through heaven, earth, and hell. And I would still be the same sinful, polluted wretch unless God himself could cleanse me by his grace. Grace is a free gift to us from God.
0: Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week we trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650 9923. Again, that's six five zero three six six ninety-nine twenty-three. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there. More information about who we are. And if you need a map to uh, visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at six five zero three six six 9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.